Father, I do give you thanks and praise for the work of the gospel all over the world. And I thank you that we get to, to play a small part in it. I thank you for the churches that you have established through uh, my preaching of your word. And I thank you for the churches that you continue establishing through the preaching of the word by men that you are raising up. I pray uh, this morning for Missio Day North, who is, is meeting um, in, in the development phase right now. Uh, I am thankful that uh, your gospel is going to continue in a, in a part of Cincinnati that in many ways was formative for me. I pray for your comfort and your conviction of sin as we open up your word. Uh, I pray that, that my wife is able to, to share wisdom in a way that um, exalts Jesus and gives joy to his people. So may we draw instruction from your word, and uh, may we go out of here joyfully serving one another for, uh, for the glory of Jesus, the good of your name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. So this morning, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, here's what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks. Um, I, it is my firm belief that we all want a God-honoring, joy-producing sex life, right? That's something we want? Yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody's like, we're in church, we can't say that. No, it's something we want. We're in church. This is a place where we can be honest about it. We want a God-honoring, joy-producing sex life. And for many of us, our sex lives have been bumped into and beat up and broken and we're coming to the, the, the marriage relationship or we're coming to just even boy-girl relationships kind of beat up. And we don't have God-honoring, joy-producing sex lives. And so what we decided to do was look at the Bible's instruction for this. For many of us, we come from backgrounds where in a religious setting, you just don't talk about it, right? We're religious people. We're holy and we're moral and, and that's something that's gross. And so that's what I dealt with in week one. I said, sex is not something that's gross, that shouldn't be talked about. It, it is actually something that God has a lot to discuss. It wasn't as if God was caught by surprise when he created Adam and Eve and they were obeying his command to be fruitful and multiply and he was surprised or shocked, right? Like he didn't walk in and say, get off of her, what are you doing? No, he said, this, this is my creation. This is a good, joyful thing talked about. So sex is not something that's gross. The second thing that I talked about in week one is, is the, the opposite end of that, where it's just talked about very loosely to the point where we, we bow down and we idolize sex, and sex becomes our God. We give our money to it. We give our time to it. We give our relationships to it, and at the end of the day, it's just not, it's not worth all that sacrifice. So sex is not gross, something that should be avoided. It's also not God, something to be worshiped. Sex is a gift from a good God that should be God-honoring and joy-producing. And that's what we're, we're at the heart of um, working through this series in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So that's what I dealt with in week one. What I dealt with in week two was, uh, was actually, I, Luke J. John dealt with it, um, but he came up here and he presented to you one of the purposes of uh, a, a sexual relationship within a marriage. And the purpose of it is to produce a life-giving sense of oneness, right? When the Bible talks about uh, the father and the son being one, 
it, it uses the same language that is used when God says he created man and woman and the two of them should be one. There's a unity of God that we see in a sexual relationship, especially one that is done according to God's design and plan, and that should produce a joy. So sex is designed to produce oneness. So all of the things that detract from oneness, right, like solo sex or sex where you shame one of your partners or anything like that becomes off limits because it doesn't feed into the joy that's being produced in sex that is designed for oneness. That was week two. We're gonna look this week very practically. Those first two weeks were kind of principles. We're gonna, we're gonna talk very practically this morning of, uh, of what this should be, like what it should look like in terms of um, the relational giving um, in, in a sexual relationship within a marriage. And, and to do that, I wanna look at 1 Corinthians chapter seven, and I'm gonna read the first five verses. And just to give you a bit of context, here's what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. The Corinthian people, not unlike our culture, had come to a conclusion. Their conclusion was different, but they're not unlike our culture. There's a lot of sexual brokenness. So the Christians in that culture came to a conclusion. They said, it is good for a man to not have sexual relationship with a woman, right? They, they flipped what God had said. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he brought Eve naked to him and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's what's good. But because of all the sexual perversion, the Corinthians came to the conclusion, sex must be a bad thing. And so Paul corrects their wrong thinking. And he says, no, sex is a good thing. And this is what it should look like. So that's the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to read the first five verses which say this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that it would bring both conviction and comfort that we see in Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a couple of the commands that we see in the text this morning, and I'll pick it up in verse 2. Um, because sex is not a bad thing, um, there's, there are parameters, there are guardrails around it to help us do it in a way that glorifies God and produces joy. As I mentioned at the outset, many of us have broken sexual experiences and we continue to go back to that well of dysfunction, hoping that it will somehow produce a satisfaction that it never does. And in fact, many times it leaves us even more empty than when we began. And so I wanna get, get back to God's design for sexuality. And here's what we see. In verse two, he says, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Paul is using an imperative. He's using a command. 
He's commanding, like, you should get married. If you want to be guarded against sexual temptation, you should get married. You should be involved in a marriage relationship. And so here's what he's saying. This is the command. The, the, the command is to be, number one, committed, and number two, faithful to a spouse. You need to be committed and faithful to a spouse. If you don't want to be actively involved in sexual immorality, you need to be committed and faithful to a spouse. What does this mean? Just practically laid out. What does it mean if you're single? If you're single and you want to engage in, in, in a sexual relationship, guess what you need to do? You need to get married. That's what the Bible is teaching. That's what the Bible has always taught. A lot of people get really frustrated about that. It's like, and I get it. Some of us want to be married, and that's just not where we are yet. And so I would say, continue pressing into the providence of God. Continue praying. Ask the Lord to give you satisfaction and joy, those sorts of things. But here's the thing, because so many of us just give up. We just quit, and we just engage in sexual immorality because of maybe a sense of discontentment. But here, here's what Galatians 5 teaches us. It, it teaches us the fruits of the Spirit. One of those fruits of the spirit is self-control. And I know some of us come from youth groups where youth pastors have gotten up, they've gone into 1 Corinthians chapter seven and they've abused that text. And they've taught young people everywhere, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And the problem is they're misapplying it because this does not have to do, and I'll deal with this more next week, it does not have to do with people who have never been married and want to be married. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And so I would give you the gospel of Galatians, which says, it doesn't say it, I'm kind of paraphrasing, my version of it would be, it is better to exercise self-control than to burn with compassion or with passion. You guys following what I'm saying? Your role, if you're a single person, is to exercise self-control when it comes to sexuality, to, to, to ask the Lord to give you the strength of Jesus in your sexual relationship so that you can express self-control, so that you can be committed and faithful to a spouse. And, and I know it might feel insurmountable, like you have to move a mountain, but can I remind you of the power that resides within believers of Jesus? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, right? It's, it's stronger than moving a mountain. That's why Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, go, and it will go. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can give you the power to exercise self-control. So that's what it means if we are single. If we're married, what it means is that you're committed and you're faithful to your spouse. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And one of the things that that means, practically speaking, is that your spouse is your standard of everything. Your, your spouse is your standard of lifestyle, right? Ladies, if your husband is a ditch digger and that's the lifestyle in which you live, guess where your standard of economics is? Ditch digging. Praise God. We need more people who are committed to that. If your standard of, uh, of lifestyle is um, lots of money, then your standard is giving a lot away. Amen? But your spouse is your standard of living. Men, this also means that your standard of beauty is your spouse. 
So if that dream woman of yours was tall and thin and blonde, and then you, you grow up a little bit and you realize there's more to life than just outward appearance, and, and you get married to a woman that is short and stocky and brunette, your standard of beauty is no longer tall and skinny and blonde, right? And it should have probably never been. You're playing with fire there a little bit. But your standard of beauty, what you should be drawn to, what you are attracted to is short and stocky and brunette, amen? I mean, there are a lot of practical implications here because what ends up happening in marriage relationships is that a lot of men don't want to ever grow up. A lot of women want them to grow up. And so the woman sees it as a challenge. She marries a little boy that it's cute for a while, but, but then you start playing that comparison game. And you're like, I, I want a, a man who can lead really well. I settled because you are my project. And then you start getting frustrated and then you get annoyed with each other and sin and resentment creeps in and all of a sudden, you don't wanna be married anymore. And it, it could be avoided if we recognize that this becomes our standard of beauty. So the command is to be committed and faithful to a spouse. The second command is in verse three and then it's clarified in verses four and five. The second command is this, the husband should give to his wife. So this is one of the things that we're gonna, we're gonna park on. I'm gonna say it a couple of times so we don't forget. Sexuality is all about giving. It's not about taking, it's about giving. And what we're gonna talk about the majority of our time together is ways in which we take or ways in which we withhold. Because sex is about giving. And most of us are stuck in a sexuality that's all about taking. And Paul's just trying to remind us, look, there's something that, that happens in sex that isn't about you. Man, wouldn't that be an amazing change in our culture if we actually believed that? The sex isn't about us. It would change everything. And so what, that's, the, that's the biblical thing that, that Paul is going after. So the, the husband should give to his wife, he says, her conjugal rights. Another way of saying it, another way of translating it, is it what belongs to her. And so that's what he clarifies in verse four. Uh, the husband's body doesn't belong to him, it belongs to his wife. So what is one of the things, if we read verse four, that a husband is supposed to give to his wife and a wife is supposed to give to her husband? What is it? Your body, right? One of the things that you should be giving in a sexual relationship is your body. Sex is a physical thing, but that's not the only thing. And so there's another command in verse five. Do not deprive or withhold or steal or defraud one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So there's a second aspect of giving, what belongs to somebody in a marriage relationship that is connected to the physical relationship, and that is the spiritual emotional connection that you should have as a husband and a wife. So this, the first command is be committed and faithful. The second command is to give to one another spiritually and physically in a way that those two things are intertwined. It's a spiritual and a physical connection in sex that we're supposed to experience in a marriage relationship. And then the command is to do that regularly, right? There should be sex and prayer and sex and prayer and sex and prayer and all of God's people said, amen, right? Some of us would like a little more prayer. Some of us like a little more physical intimacy. But I mean, that, that's what should be happening in a marriage relationship in a unique way that's not shared with anybody else. 
The problem is that's not our experience, right? That's not our story. What we do is we get caught up in withholding spiritually, physically, withholding physically from one another, or taking spiritually, taking physically from one another. And so here's what I want to do at this point. I want to bring my wife up. I want to have um, her help us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to address the ways that men withhold and that men take. And my wife is gonna, is gonna address some of the ways that ladies withhold and ladies take. And now we're not just, kinda, we're not just going to share for our, from our own experience. Um, we have been married for 18 years. We've done ministry. Most of that time has been professional ordained ministry in those 18 years. Uh, we've got uh, four kids as a result of doing marriage ministry. And uh, they sat through the nine o'clock and the 11 o'clock gathering. So um, if you think it's weird to talk about this, uh, try having your mom and your kids in the gathering while you're doing so, right? Um, but it was great to watch my son uh, sit through the gathering and like not blink or not like giggle or think this is strange or awkward because I think we've, we've done a pretty faithful job of being able to talk about it in a way that, that isn't just a joke. And so um, we have uh, counseled many of you. We've taught Foundations of Marriage class. I've been able to officiate a lot of your weddings. We do a lot of counseling together. And so a lot of what we wanna share is uh, things that we have learned in our own marriage over 18 years and marriages that we've watched and learned from, marriages and, and relationships as we've counseled people and, and those sorts of things that we want to share. But but so here's what we're dealing with. Our tendency when it comes to sexuality is to sometimes withhold and sometimes to take. And we're gonna talk about this in both a physical and a spiritual way. So I'm going to kick it off and I'm gonna start with um, the men, okay? Um, when, we, when we come to a sexual relationship, a physical relationship, most of our culture, and especially in a church culture, might come to the impression like, there's no way men withhold from their wives, right? I mean, if anything, they're, they're always initiating, right? God has designed men and their bodies to be initiators. And in women, they're, they're designed physically to be receivers. So we see God's design all over that. And so men are always initiating, initiating, initiating. But, but here's what I see. Here's where I see men withholding in their responsibility to be godly with sexuality. It's, it's when men operate in the home as, as passive participants. We're passive with our spiritual leading. We're, we're passive with creating space where our wives feel like they can share honestly and vulnerably their hearts, what's going on with their fears. We don't do that, right? We, we, we become very passive. And so I, I, I know one of the things that we've really striven to do, and, and we're not perfect at it, um, but one of the things I challenge men to do that, that we've done in our home is, is to just simply have a vision for your life. One of the things that we teach people in counseling is develop a, a purpose and a vision, maybe some values that go along with this, and talk about it often. That's probably where I maybe like slump into passivity because I've said it once, I don't need to say it again, but some of us have never said it once. So I challenge you guys, like, think through, what is the vision for your life? Where is God taking you? And how does that have implications for your wife and for your kids? And so I'll share with you ours. You can steal it if you want it, um, but you don't, you don't have to do it exactly the way we do it. But uh, Shannon has taken our vision statement, which took us about three months to kind of craft and agree on, because this is all done by agreement. Um, we crafted a vision statement that says that we are a family that is rooted in the love of God 
to build up one another and to serve others for generations to come. Now, there's a lot in that. But as we pray and as we discipline and as we correct and instruct and do all those things, a lot of times I'm drawing our family back to that mission statement, right? So, so one of the things might be like, hey, you're not being very kind to your sibling, but we're a family that is, that is brought together, rooted in God's love in order to build one another up. In the Hannah home, we build up one another because when you leave the Hannah home, you're gonna go out to a world whose desire it is to tear you down. And so in, in the Hannah home, we're gonna be here to build one another up. That's why God has graced us with his presence. But men, if you're not actively involved in helping craft that and lead in that way, especially spiritually speaking, then you're being passive and you're withholding from your wife something that is owed to her. You need to take responsibility for leading in that way and not sit back and say, it's the wife's job to initiate spirituality. And this is one of the things that, at Missio, and I know I'm going on a little longer than I did even at the nine, but one of the things that we wanna do is call men to lead in that way because most churches are full of women and children because the men are passive in creating this vision for their homes and so the women are left to do all the initiating. And if you want a good sexual relationship with your wife, try leading her spiritually, right? See what happens because sex isn't just physical. So let's not withhold the spiritual side of our lives from our wives. Hi. <laughs> um, so I have two confessions to make before we really jump in here. But um, first one is, um, this is not really my favorite thing to do uh, to be up here, but... Um, I, to I told the 11 or the 9 o'clock that uh, I had to ask and ask and ask and ask before she would say yes. And that's when she married me, right? <laughs> and then again, no, I'm just kidding. I only had to ask once for the marriage, but... Um, but uh, as we talked and we're leading up to this, um, really felt impressed that um, my love for you all, I'm gonna ladies here, my love for Jesus um, compelled me to say, you know, I'm gonna lay that aside and um, be up here with you today. So um, I want this to be as conversational. I'm thinking about you ladies sitting in my living room and we're just having to talk about sex. So um, second confession is that Kurt mentioned we've been married 18 years. Um, a lot of the things that we are sharing today are things that have been struggles for us. So I wouldn't want you to get the impression that we have it all together that our marriage is perfect and that we don't ever struggle in these ways. Um, our marriage is very good, uh, but it's hard. Like marriage is hard and we have hard times and we struggle. And so a lot of the things that we have learned um, that we're gonna talk about today are things that we have learned through struggle and by God's grace bringing us through. So, um, okay, so here we go. Um, ways that women can withhold from our husbands. Um, first thing, and I think this is probably just true for a lot of us, is that we withhold physically. Um, you know, I've kind of like, oh, I've been frustrated sometimes. Like, God, why, why are we so different? Like, we're just so different. It would be easier if we just both had the same desires, the same desires physically. Like, why, why are we so different? And I, I think it is because 
This is God's mode for sanctifying us. You know, we are different because this is how God's going to grow us and this is how he's going to teach us to serve one another. Um, so uh, it, it can create conflict when we want to withhold ourselves physically from our husbands or from an intimate relationship with him. Um, we also, maybe you'll relate to this one, um, our withholding is something that happens in our minds when we start to compare ourselves or compare our husbands to other men. Um, girls, man, Facebook, Instagram, getting on that stuff and comparing your husband to what you think um, somebody else's husband is like or what their family is like or what their marriage is like. Girls, that's, that's death. Um, so, you know, God gave you that man, that husband, that relationship, because he knew that was the right person and the most sanctifying person for you. So we have to get out of that trap of comparing um, our man to somebody else's. Um, we also withhold um, frustration, maybe problems, struggles, pains, um, sometimes we're not very good at sharing those things. Um, for the early years of our marriage, uh, I could not talk about a lot of things. Um, so I wrote a lot of letters. <laughs> really? Not the kind of letters you want to get. <laughs> really long letters, um, which, I mean, I guess that was a step in the right direction, but... Um, you know, it can, it can really get in there and become a root of bitterness when we're not able to talk to our husbands. If you feel like he's not leading well, you know, how do you have that conversation, not to shame him, but to encourage him? Um, but when we hold that stuff in, you know, that root grows and we can become bitter and then we can become resentful. And then the last things we wanna do physically is to become, to be intimate with our husband if, if we have this junk in our hearts that we're not willing to share. So um, withholding anything, anything like that, pain um, can really drive a wedge into the intimacy of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yep, and one of the things that I, I shared earlier was um, if the men aren't being active in creating space for your wife to share those things, uh, then it can be doubly hard for your wife to actually do that. So all, all of these things, as we talk about it, like it's a coming together, it's a both and. Men, create the space, be active in doing so, and then ladies, speak up. Take the opportunity to, to, to say those things. And, and like Shannon said, I mean, the first couple of years, uh, there were notes of all the problems and all the things that I was doing wrong. And so it's one of those, you start reading it, standing up, and then you're sitting down, hunched over by the time you're done. Um, but it, it was a cry for us to create space where we were able to talk about that much more honestly. Mm -hmm. So don't withhold from one another in those areas. Um, but let's talk as well about the ways that we might take. Um, men, the number one I, way I see this happening in my own heart, the way I see it happening in the lives of, of men in, in the church and even outside of the church is uh, manipulating sexual intimacy. Um, feeling sorry for yourself, making it all about you, not seeing yourself as a giver, but as a taker, right? And this is to anything. They see sexists because 
Passive men don't want to give themselves to anything. They see sex as something they can take for themselves. And what we end up doing is, is we see all these things, we hear all these things, and we think, we think that's the way it's supposed to be, where sex comes to us instead of us actively giving of ourselves. And so what we end up doing is we manipulate and we take and we coerce and we intimidate and we bully and we say things like, we should be doing this X amount of times a week because so-and-so does or because I read it somewhere or because this text, and I don't know if you paid attention to the way I read it, the husband's body doesn't belong to himself. I don't know if you noticed, I try to emphasize that because what happens is men will look and say, the wife's body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to, to me. Give it to me, right? That's taking. It's taking something that you can coerce and you can manipulate and you can intimidate, but it's taking what isn't yours. If she doesn't give it to you, it's not yours yet. Sex is all about giving. It's not about taking. Um, and so I, I wanna call men to repentance there. And, and I didn't mention this earlier, but I know we're a young congregation and, and there are a lot of babies being born. And my hope is that we get another wave of babies in about like nine months after this series when we're experiencing God's good gift, amen? <laughs> but man, those, those moments after babies are born, it's tough. Isn't it, fellas and ladies? It's tough. Man, you go through all this emotional junk and you feel, men, you feel rejected and ladies, you feel preyed upon and uh, you, you have to have these conversations. You probably need to have them before the baby is born, when you're both at a mental state where you can hear one another and you're not feeling sorry for yourself. But man, it gets tough and what ends up happening is men manipulate and they wanna take and they don't see sex as an opportunity to give and to be a, a giving, loving sacrificial spouse. Another thing that we do is um, we might overemphasize the physical con connection over the spiritual emotional connection. And so one of the things that we talk about in our Foundations of Marriage class is you need to get to know your wife's heart before you ever touch her body, right? Dig in, ask questions. I, I don't know how many of you men are aware of your wife's struggles, Right? And in, in the church world, a lot of times, like the wife or the spirit, the wives are the spiritual giants because nobody ever digs in and asks, What are you afraid of? Who are you comparing yourself to? How does Jesus work himself out in your life? When's the last time you confessed sin and repented and trusted in Christ? A lot of guys, we're just passive and we just assume that they've got it all together and we leave them feeling isolated and, and spiritually alone. And so we've got to be men who, rather than take, give. Give that listening ear. Give spiritually of yourself and lead your wife to Jesus before you take from her what she's not really ready to give because she hasn't emotionally been connected to. So let's, let's be men who are, who are givers, right? So ladies, I'm gonna, going to sort of speak about the opposite of that. Um, giving physically, um, Sometimes we are guilty of only wanting that emotional connection. Um, so we, um, we take because we want an emotional connection um, and we will, you know, want him to spend the time and take us on dates and get into our hearts and, you know, if your man loves Jesus and he, he does that and he pursues that and then we can cut them right off. Like, okay, 
cup's full now. You heard my heart. Like, you listened to all my pain, and, and now I'm good. Um, and so, you know, for us ladies, I think sometimes we're not tuned in to the way that a man might need emotional connection. Um, you know, through just studying and reading some things, um, you know, it, it, it's been made clear to me, and this is, I think, something that I'm honestly still working on, not always great about, that, you know, for a man, the physical and the emotional connection are kind of are intertwined. And so, you know, intimacy is an emotional connection for him. And so... Um, I have a little statistic here. More than three out of four men claim that sex gives them confidence, a greater sense of well-being and satisfaction in life. By understanding the male's emotional need, she'll see her own potential to help her husband gain the confidence he needs to face the world. Um, so if we started to approach you know, the, the thought of intimacy in a sexual relationship with our husbands as not just something that we're doing with our bodies, but a way that we can emotionally connect to him, a way that we can build him up to go out into this world and, and be successful and be confident. Um, you know, if our husbands never wanted to talk to us and never cared about our hearts, you know, how would we feel navigating life and the world in general? Um, it's, it's sort of the same for our husbands. Like if we're not ever willing to, to build them up, you know, to connect to them emotionally, which happens during intimacy, then, you know, you're shortchanging your man to go out there and, and slay those giants in his life. You know, this is an opportunity as women that we have, and sometimes it feels a little funny to say it this way, and I think I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more later, but, you know, this is a ministry. Like, you have an opportunity to build into your husband in a way that nobody else does. Nobody else gets that. This is an opportunity, ladies, to build his confidence, to support him, to help him feel encouraged and built up. So I would encourage you to, you know, make that your priority this week even. How can I emotionally help fill that tank for him? He's going out there, and I know, you know, some of us ladies go out and work every day too, so I'm not saying that. But, you know, generally our husbands are out there. They're supporting us. They're working hard for us. Like you have an opportunity to minister to him in a way that nobody else does. So. Oh, yeah, there's another point. <laughs> okay. And I kind of touched on this already anyway, but... um. We take from our men when we, and this is really what I was saying, we steal manhood from them. So um, I do have a quote here from a lady named Shanti Feldhahn. She wrote a book called For Women Only. She wrote other books as well, but um, this is from that book. It says, we women think of sex as being primarily a physical need for a man, but it isn't. One of a man's deepest emotional needs is to feel that his wife desires him. And if he sees that his wife desires him, it gives him a sense of well-being in all the other areas of his life. I don't need that. I was going to take the microphone from you, but I've got one on my face. Yeah. It's already there. So what ends up happening is we have this, this battle in our relationships, in our marriage relationships, between withholding and taking, withholding and taking, and it becomes cyclical. And then the resentment comes in and the bitterness and, 
and, and then you just, you, it doesn't create an opportunity for us really spiritually and physically to come together in a way that is God honoring and produces joy. And, and these are the things that when they creep in, you start looking outside and the comparisons get greater. And sometimes like the, the wandering eye becomes the wandering feet and you step out of a marriage relationship to try to find the satisfaction and joy that, that God has created to be in the marriage relationship. And when, when that struggle takes over, it, it leaves us feeling broken and alone, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that's had even the best one night stand of their life and felt like, you know, that was really satisfying. I, like, I, would, I would want a, just a lifestyle of that. And even, even an unbelieving culture knows it's not fulfilling because sex is so much more than just a physical act. There's deep spirituality entwined with it. And so what we need is we need healing. We need healing spiritually, and we need healing, healing physically. And this is where the good news of, of Jesus really comes in, because we don't have a, a savior who just enters in spiritually to our world, right? We have a, a savior who offers not only his spiritual presence, but also his body, both his spiritual presence and his body. And his, his body becomes a substitute for our spiritual brokenness. So Jesus gave us not only his spiritual presence, but his body. We see this in Colossians chapter one, where it says, there it is. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what, what Paul is saying to the Colossians is that there's something that starts in your heart, but it works out in your hands so that what's spiritual becomes physical and it's broken. And what Jesus does is he offers a physical brokenness as a substitute for your physical brokenness. And it's not just physical. They're so intertwined that when you separate them, all you have is death. And then it says again in 1 Peter chapter 2, the first part of verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so we have Jesus as our substitute, as the one who has overcome all of the things that we've done in our hearts and with our hands, right? For some of us, it doesn't make its way all the way out to our hands. For some of us, this sexual sin is still buried deep in there, but it's in there. But for many of us, and I would maybe even say most of us, it's made its way out into our hands so that we've taken what doesn't belong to us and we've withheld what belongs to our spouse, and Jesus comes in and says, I wanna be a substitute for that. I wanna take all of the stain of that and I wanna put it in a tomb. I wanna remove it from you. And then I wanna show you that there is power to overcome this. And he comes up out of the grave and he says, here is my spirit. And the same spirit that comes back from the dead gives us power and courage and, um, and conviction to live differently. To not take and to not withhold, but instead to give to do with, with sex what God has designed for it, and to be givers of intimacy. And so I wanna talk for a few moments about what that would look like in a marriage relationship. So here's the, the big takeaway. What do you do with what we're talking about? Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, be committed to give of yourself, right? In Christ, be committed to give. Christ gave, you give. You give spiritually and you give physically. Now, generally speaking, uh, this is a call to be committed to this. If you're single, once again, you are committed 
to having self-control. And, and if God has a spouse for you in the future, you're guarding for that spouse. But you're not awakening or arousing love before it's time, as Song of Songs teaches us. You're fighting for that. You're sacrificing for it. You are committed to it. If you're married, you want to commit your life, your, your spirituality, your body to your spouse. And listen, it's a fight. If it were easy, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? If it was just a matter of discipline, but it's, not, it's more than a matter of discipline. This is a spiritual war that's going on. And we need to ask Jesus to give us the strength and the courage to walk this out faithfully. This is why this stuff creeps into the church. Just because you're Christian, just because you trusted in Jesus, it doesn't make you automatically moral. In fact, it just reveals to you the ways in which you're not and why you need Jesus so badly. So we wanna be committed to this. We wanna fight for it. We wanna sacrifice. We wanna pray for it. We wanna hold one another accountable. This becomes a bigger thing than just ourselves. And then what we wanna do, what we're committing to is the giving of ourselves. So men, like, take initiative. Take initiative in leading well. Take initiative in leading spiritually. One of the ways that this gets played out in our home, and I, I, I wanna be very careful here. I wanna, I wanna remind us of the text in verse five, right? There's a physical coming together and a spiritual coming together. The rhythm of that is not whatever Kurt and Shannon say, right? It's not whatever I've read in the magazine. The standard for this is by agreement for a limited time. So your rhythm of deep spiritual connection and deep physical connection is a conversation that you should have with your spouse. I'm gonna talk about the way that it's played out in our life, but I'm not going to give you the, the sum total benchmark of what you should be doing. For some of you, you'll need more than this. For some of you, you'll need less. I'm just gonna talk about the way that we try to activate it in our lives, and it's because we have come to agreement on this between one another. And so what, the way this gets played out is, um, and I won't give you all the details, but um, Sunday nights, we really fight to have a, a business meeting, right? That, that's a, a very spiritual and physical thing that's happening. There are only physically so many hours in a week, and I crank out, on average, about 80 hours a week working for Missio. Right? Some of that is volunteer. Most of it is like stuff that I'm, I'm meeting with people. My schedule's wide open. My wife sacrifices so that I can serve you. And in those 80 hours, we've got to steward them well. So we sit down on a Sunday night. We talk about all the meetings that I have in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings. Am I gonna be home to take a kid to soccer practice? Right? Is Shannon gonna be home? Is, are we gonna be able to make that game? Are we gonna be able to make that dinner party or that birthday party? That takes a lot of logistical work. And so once a week, we sit down and we go through our calendar. And we plan it out two, three weeks in advance so that she can be on the same page with me. And then on Monday nights, in order to have good spiritual connection, uh, I make sure that I guard Monday nights. I don't allow people to get my calendar on Mondays. And we guard it for family worship. It's sometimes amazing and wonderful. And the Lord, like, there's a beam of, from, of light from heaven that shines down upon our table and repentance all around, Right? Most of the time, not. Most of the time, it's not. <laughs> Most of the time, it's like, stop throwing food, and uh, yeah. Um, but, but it's a time where we, we ask one another, what is the Lord teaching you? Uh, those nights, we usually put the kids to bed a little bit early, and Shannon and I sit on the couch, and we catch up on what's going on in our hearts. What are we afraid of? What, and, and, but you've got to, I don't know when it works for you. I, I recommend about once a week where you should sit down and talk about these things, but at least once a month. Sit down and have these conversations of what's going on. 
And then I'll just throw out there as well, by way of practical implication, um, by agreement for a time, there should be some schedule and some rhythm. When was the last time you ate a really healthy meal that happened spontaneously and accidentally? And the answer is, never. You've never had a healthy meal that you didn't plan, right? You don't accidentally eat healthy. You accidentally eat three donuts, right? And you're realizing, I just made a mess all over the floor with the toppings on these things. But you don't accidentally and spontaneously eat healthy. You plan it, right? And, but, but we've bought this lie that our culture throws at us that the healthiest and the best sex is what's accidental and spontaneous, And it's goofy the way we talk about it, right? We talk about falling in love. The Bible commands us to love. It's an action and it's a choice. It's not something you fall into. It's something you plan out, you care for, that you commit to, that you sacrifice for. That's love, which means it might not be a bad idea to put sex on the calendar, right? We we do that. We're not 100% always making those appointments, but we really strive for that. And so here's what I generally recommend. My wife hates, she hates this analogy, but I think it's helpful, okay? (laughs) She just doesn't want to help you, yeah. So when it comes to arousal, men are typically, they operate like microwaves, right? 30 seconds, you're ready to go, amen? Doesn't take a lot, right? It's just what's in the freezer, put it in there, boom, let's go. Women tend to be more like a crock pot, right? It goes in there super cold in the morning. You throw a lot of ingredients, and it takes a long time throughout the course of an entire day before women are generally ready to go. So your, your plan of like initiating sex, men, shouldn't be like rolling over and be like, hey, baby, right? <laughs> but there should be maybe one night of the week that is a microwave night. And then one night of the week, and that's not just the night of the week, it's the day, right? And it might be the day before, because you got to plan it. That's the crockpot night. And so you're sending notes, and you're creating the atmosphere, and you're thinking about it, and praying about it, and you're building up, and you're doing all the things that make sexuality helpful and healthy. And so we, we, we want to we focus in on that. We want to we have microwave nights. We want to have... Um, we want to have crockpot nights, um, but, but create that space long before you expect to be in the moment. One last thing, I'm going to turn it over to, to Shannon and let her give some practical insight for this as well. Um, a lot of us are, are younger, and there are little kids in the home, and there are sleepless nights, and there's a lot of work to be done around the house. And guys, I get it. Sometimes you, your wives have chosen to stay at home with the baby, and you've been out there slugging it out all day, which is way easier than taking care of a baby. Um, and, and so you come home and, and you want to put your feet up. And meanwhile, your, your wife is still slugging it out. Guys, jump in. Pick up the vacuum cleaner. Clean something, right? Wash the dishes. Put the kids to bed. Read a story to them. Give them their baths. They're only going to be little once. It's a very short season. And I want memories in my home where my kids remember, Daddy prayed with me at night. Daddy listened to my heart. Daddy loved Jesus with me. Daddy took good care of me. It's a unique opportunity. You don't want other men doing it, right? It's a unique ministry that you have. And so many of us are being passive and we're missing it. And our wives are resenting it for us. And so um, Shannon told me uh, at one point, uh, she said, uh, to me, this is directly related to a woman's desire to be intimate. 
A man is sexy when he loves the kids, cherishes his wife, and leads like a stud. <laughs> Thoroughbred. So she said, you want more sex? Love God and love your family well. And it will create more of those opportunities to be intimate. Okay, um, so this is very practical, ladies. Um, just some things that I've learned along the way. Um, and I, mean, I want you to know that you can come and talk to us about this stuff. You can come and talk to me about it. Um, and like we said before, every, this isn't, this is, these are things that have worked well for us. This is not from the Bible. This is just practical ways, practical things that have helped um, in our relationship. So, um, and this is a big one. Um, make sex a priority in your relationship, in your life, in your mind, okay? Because for a lot of us, that's where it starts. So Kurt talked about it. Schedule it. Um, schedules are awesome, but it, does, it shouldn't stop there. Um, plan for it. Put the kids to bed early, like one night a week, you know? Put your kids to bed an hour early so that you have time and space to connect. Um, and do, when you put them to bed early, uh, do something to relax, like whatever that might be for you. Um, take a bath, have a glass of wine, like ha be purposeful, I think is, is really my point here. Um, let's see. I lost my place. Um, take time to prepare your mind so I think for a lot, and he talks about the silly analogy, but, uh, but the truth is that we, we really often need to prepare our minds ahead of time. Um, and so, you know, throughout the day, it's on the calendar, you see it there in the morning, and then you can be thinking about it throughout some initiative to think about kind of stuff up to him alone. Okay, like take some initiative to think about intimacy that evening. Um, and make, oh, I like this one. You might not, but I do. So um, the way I worded it was paint the barn. But what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of us, again, are young and we're home with the kids all day and we roll out of bed and yoga pants are awesome. But if you've been in your yoga pants all day and you haven't combed your hair or brushed your teeth, like, doesn't really lend itself to feeling like you want to be intimate with your husband that night. So you know, put a little bit of lipstick on, like a little bit of perfume, change your clothes, brush your teeth, like whatever it might be to help initiate your mind. And, and when your mind is engaged in that, then your body is going to want to follow. Um, so another thing, be receptive. I think we've touched on that. Uh, you're not always that exhausted. Like, come on, we're not always that exhausted. We don't always have a headache, like, I get it, sometimes we do, but really consider how often do you use that as an excuse to kind of stonewall your husband? He doesn't know how tired you are. You can tell him you're really exhausted. But will you, will you maybe take a step to, to take some initiative and maybe you just say, you know what, I am tired, but this is 30 minutes and you're never gonna regret it. Like you don't regret it, right? So like sometimes you have to set aside that physical because this emotional connection with your spouse is important. Your marriage depends on it. Um, so another one, have fun with this. 
Like, there should be so much freedom and joy when we talk about intimacy in a Christian marriage. Like, you guys, God gave this to us. This is a gift for us. The world, you know, like, corrupts it and changes it. Um, we have the opportunity in a lifelong marriage commitment to just relax and have fun. Like, there is so much freedom. We should be having the best sex, okay? Like, we should be having way better sex than anybody outside of the church. We are in a covenant relationship. It's safe. It's free. Embrace that. Enjoy it. Um, and be creative. Don't leave all, leave all of that up to your husband. Um, we have very creative, very powerful minds, and use that. That is, a, that is given to you from God. So use that. Be creative. I have ideas. You can come and talk to me. It's fine. <laughs> I won't say it now, but come and talk to me. Like this, there is so much joy and freedom here, ladies. And I think sometimes we just need to, we just need to relax and embrace that. So um, I think that's it. I do want to say, like, we are, we are open um, to having conversations with you all. Seek us out, send us an email, whatever that might be. We wanna help serve you all in this way. You know, last thing I'll say is um, really guard your hearts on this. This works out really well when both parties are committed to giving of themselves. And, and sometimes you're in a relationship where one person isn't doing that and it will cause you to want to take or to withhold. And so pray to God. Pray that he changes your heart, that you're giving them the space that they need, that, that will slow you down and ask the question, why might my husband, why might my wife be withholding right now? Why might she feel the need to take? What's, what's missing from my side of this equation? And, and continually give, give, give. Jesus never stopped giving. He gave until it cost him everything. And, and we get that picture and that joy. In, in God's ways, to enjoy God's gift. We want you to enjoy it in, in God's ways. We want you to do it so that it gives God glory and that it produces joy in your life. So here's what we're going to do. Shannon's going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us in a time of response. The band's going to jump up, and uh, they're also going to lead us a time in, uh, in a time of, of musical response. So Shannon, if you would pray for us. Sure. Father, I thank you. Um, that you've given us a good gift. God, I thank you that even in our times of struggle and messing up, not serving one another, taking and withholding, um, you are good. And that your offer of reconciliation and hope is always there. And so, Lord, I pray for the men and women here in their marriages. I pray that you would unite hearts and minds and bodies. Lord, I pray that the men and women of Missio would grow in their marriages uh, for generations to come. That children would grow up in homes where mommy and daddy love one another and they see it in God. Then that these little ones would grow up to do the same. Lord, I pray for protection over your people. I pray that their marriages would be strong and godly and um, endure um, until the end of their lives. God, I thank you for the opportunity to love and to serve uh, your people. 
And I pray that they would go out of here today um, being encouraged, challenged, that they would repent, and that their marriages would be strong. In your precious name we pray, amen.